Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa from the Spotify Originals Tales and Mythology. On behalf of all of us here at Parcast Network, it's my privilege to wish you a very happy holiday season. There's no way to properly express just how much we appreciate your loyalty and support. I'd also like to tell you about some special end-of-the-year programming we have in store for you. First, a holiday classic unlike any way you've heard it before. We're calling it The Lost Nativity, an apocryphal Christmas tale, and I hope you enjoy it. Next week, be sure to tune in for our best of 2021 picks and join us the first week of January for all new episodes. We thank you again for listening and wish you a happy and healthy new year. A warning, this episode features violent content, disturbing imagery, and mature themes, including murder and infanticide. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. I stood at the edge of the garden, watching my wards fade into the desert. The man and the woman trudged across the barren landscape, drawing their makeshift clothes tight against the harsh wind. Even at a distance, I could feel their shame. They had betrayed the Creator and forfeited their place in paradise. It was right that they should go, but it did not make it any easier. My reverie was interrupted by the sound of my enemy's labored breathing. I turned to see the serpent writhing in agony on the garden floor. I say, serpent. Then he was more a dragon, with a great, coiling body of glittering scales. Four taloned limbs lay nearby, spilling black blood onto the grass. My flaming sword, which is named Lahat HaKarev, stood where I'd left it blade stabbed into the earth. As I retrieved it, the serpent tried to slither away. I placed a foot on his skull to hold him still and leaned down to deliver the words entrusted to me. I have a message from the Most High. For what you have done, you will crawl on your belly and eat the dust of the earth and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. I press the flat of my fiery blade against his bloody stumps, cauterizing them one by one. As the garden filled with the smell of burning flesh, I looked back to the desert. I could still just see them, two tiny figures silhouetted against the setting sun. Eden had fallen, but it was not the end. The war had only just begun.
Welcome, listeners. I'm Vanessa Richardson, host of the Spotify Originals Mythology, Tales, and Mythical Monsters. Each week, I delve into myths and folklore from around the world, bringing to life humanity's oldest stories. Today, we have something very special in store, a holiday classic that has filled this season with hope and joy for nearly two millennia, the Nativity. For millions around the globe, the birth of Christ is no mere myth, but a cornerstone of faith. And whatever your personal beliefs, you'd be hard-pressed to find a story with such a massive impact. But just how well do you really know it? The Bible actually contains two different narratives of Jesus' birth. Over the centuries, these have been blended into the version of the nativity that many people are familiar with today. But some versions of the biblical tales are more complicated and far darker than most people realize, full of murder and tragedy. And that's just the start. There are dozens of ancient texts about the life of Jesus that were not included in the Bible, usually because the early Christian church rejected them as either being inaccurate or full of false teachings. These apocryphal or non-canonical gospels include several infancy narratives, which expand upon the nativity found in the Bible. And while we're certainly not suggesting that you should take these versions as true, they are fascinating studies. As we've learned time and again, Every ancient story is a window into the way our ancestors saw the universe. And even a tale as ubiquitous as the nativity still has secrets to share. Joining me today is Alastair Murden, host of ParCast's Superstitions and Haunted Places Ghost Stories. He'll be helping me tell the story from the perspective of the angel Gabriel. Thanks, Vanessa. This is the nativity as you've never heard it before. Drawing on apocryphal sources, as well as the original biblical texts, we dispel the modern myths and reintroduce ancient ones. It wasn't a stable, but a cave. There were more than three wise men, and from birth, Mary was guided by the angel Gabriel to fulfill her sacred purpose. Coming up, the epic story begins. It began with a child, a boy named Cain. He was the first son and the first killer. I watched from afar as Cain slew his brother, spilling Abel's blood onto the desert sands. My worst fears had come to pass. The children were marked with the stain of their parents' sins. I would have turned away then, but Elohim had given me a task watch over the children of Adam until the proper time. And so I watched as one generation passed to the next, through flood and fire, enslavement and exodus, I watched until I had almost given up hope. And then I saw her, a girl unlike any since Eve left the garden. Her name was Miriam. Miriam's eyes darted over the faces of the Sanhedrin. The priests huddled together at the long table, arguing in low voices. She was only 14 years old, but she'd spent her entire life with these men as her only family. 
Even if she could not hear what they said, she could read their expressions. It did not look good. The table fell silent as the priest at the center stood, a large man with a dark beard, the high priest Zechariah. Welcome, Miriam. Thank you for coming. Is something wrong, Uncle? This council could use your help with something, a mystery that's been puzzling us. For the past 11 years, you have lived inside this temple. Every day you receive food from our kitchens, and every day for many weeks now, you have been seen dispensing food to beggars outside the temple. Do the teachings of the rabbis not instruct us to feed the hungry? So it does, Miriam. But you were only given enough food for yourself. For how often you have given it away, you should have starved long ago. Yet here you stand before me. So I ask you once and only once, where did you get the extra food? Miriam glanced at the priest seated behind her uncle. She could see the eagerness in their eyes and knew what they were waiting for. They wanted her to say it, even if they would not believe. It was brought to me. Brought to you? By who? An angel. I see. And what does he look like, this angel? He does not appear to me in physical form. I only sense his presence and receive his gifts. At times, I hear his voice. What does he say? He says that I have found favor with God. Miriam, we've discussed this. These fantasies were acceptable when you were a child, but you're getting older and- That's the problem, isn't it? Soon I will be a woman. You fear that when the time comes, the blood of my womb will defile this temple. That is why you have all these questions. You're deciding what to do with me. We have decided, actually. This is Abiathar. The council has determined that you shall marry his youngest son. Zechariah gestured to an older priest at the end of the table. He nodded respectfully to Miriam. No. He is a good man, Miriam. He will make a good husband. But if you are truly not ready... I will never be ready. I've decided not to marry or ever know a man. You wish to remain unwed? <laughs> Miriam, we worship our God through children. By providing future generations so that the kingdom of Israel can continue. This is how it has always been for our people. Our God can also be worshipped in chastity. Abel died a virgin and God gave him a crown for his holiness. My heart is resolved. Then you have given me much to think about. You may go, Miriam. I will pray on this. Zechariah donned the sacred robe with the 12 golden bells and went into the sanctuary. He lit the incense, knelt before the tabernacle, and prayed. He'd done this many times in his life, listening in silence for the word of God. He did not expect so loud a response. Zechariah. Zechariah, be not afraid. The hour of deliverance is at hand. Who is there? The girl must be protected. Call upon the widowers of Judea. Summon them to the temple. Widowers? Among them, you will find the man you seek. A carpenter of the house of David. His name is Yosef. 
Yosef. Yes, I know him. He will take Miriam into his own house, and she shall be his wife. But he is so old, perhaps one of his grandsons. Three times you question me, Zechariah. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of Elohim. Be silent now, and hear me. Miriam shall be bound in marriage to Yosef and no other. If he resists, then you will remind him of those who despise the will of El. Remind him of Dathan, Abiram, and Korah, who spat in the face of Moses. And the Lord said, Behold, the ground parted beneath their feet and swallowed them up. Zechariah did as he was instructed. It was difficult, I expect, for our encounter had left him unable to speak. Not an ideal situation for a priest. Still, he managed. And so it came to pass that the girl Miriam left the temple and went into the house of Yosef in the village of Nazareth, as Zechariah predicted, neither of them were quite happy with the arrangement. Yosef, where are you going? Where do you think? I am a carpenter. I go to my work. I have a score of houses to finish building in Galilee. I will return in six months. You're serious? I've just arrived here. I know none of your neighbors, none of your relatives, and you're going to leave me here alone for half a year? Perhaps you should not have married an old carpenter. What am I supposed to do here? You're the girl who talks to angels, aren't you? Try asking them. Yosef took his axe and went out, leaving Miriam in his house. The first day she spent alone, the priests had asked her to sew them a veil for the temple, and so she busied herself with working the loom, spinning silk of purple and scarlet. On the second day, her stores of water ran dry, and so Miriam took a pitcher and went down to the well in the village. A number of women were gathered at the well, drawing water for their own houses. They saw Miriam coming and began to whisper. Look, there she goes. Hello, dearie. I know you. You're Yosef's bride. And such a pretty little thing you are. My name is Miriam. Miriam! How lucky you are marrying that strapping tree of a man. Oh, sure, he's not as young as he once was, but there's water in that well yet, I speck. And if anyone's fit to draw it... Please, let me pass. What's wrong, Miriam? Are you not proud of your new husband? He is not my husband. At least, not in the way you mean. Is that so? 
I heard the rumors, but I didn't believe them. Come, loves, we should bow in the presence of one so unblemished. This is Maryam, Queen of the Virgins. You speak prophecy. Get away from her! The women fled at the angel's voice, screaming curses as they went. Even Miriam trembled. For a while, the angel had whispered in her ear since she was a child. Never before had he appeared to her in physical form. Now he took the shape of a young man of ineffable beauty, silhouetted against a great shimmering light, like a blazing fire. Miriam wanted to run, but she stood her ground as he approached. He smiled lovingly and took her hand. Miriam, blessed Miriam, be not afraid. You have found favor with the Most High. He has sent me to bring you great news. You shall conceive in your womb and have a child. How is that possible? I've never even been with a man. All things are possible, blessed one. Sit. We have much to discuss. We spoke of many things, of the future and the child that was to come. All things considered, I think she took it rather well. Yosef was harder to convince. Yosef, you've returned. You're still here, are you? Adonai Elohim. I can explain. Explain this? Yosef was understandably surprised. The priests had charged him with guarding Miriam's chastity, yet he had returned home to find her swollen with child. While he now had clear grounds to send her away, he worried what might happen if he accused Miriam publicly. He'd seen women banished from the community, even stoned to death for less. On the other hand, if he claimed the child was his own while he was old enough to be her grandfather, he would be disgraced. All of this was of little concern to me. Yosef and I would have a talk. The plan was in motion. The star was rising. The diviners already on their way. But there was something else that did worry me. I was not the only one watching. Far to the south, a dark cloud gathered over the fortress at Arania. My enemy had seen the signs and even now was setting his own plans in motion. I could feel him there, coiled in the darkness, watching and waiting. It would not be long now. Coming up, a child is born. Pinocchio, Sleeping Beauty, The Little Mermaid. They're all iconic Disney movies. But did you know the original versions of these stories did not end with a happily ever after? Hi, 
I'm Alastair from Parcast, and I'm hosting a new Spotify original called Once Upon a Time. For nine weeks, we're commemorating the 120th anniversary of original Imagineer Walt Disney's birth by lifting the curtain and comparing some of your favorite Disney stories with their earliest tellings. Once Upon a Time will chart Disney's career triumphs, as well as the crushing defeats that almost ruined it all. We'll also look at what it took to bring these stories to life and why Disney's adapted versions became so memorable across generations. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Once Upon a Time. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be counted, and each man would be registered in the town of his birth. A census, such an innocent thing on the surface. But the serpent works through human hands. Since the beginning, I had watched over the tribe of Israel. And since the beginning, my enemy had worked toward their destruction. He remembered my first prophecy, that from their line would come the child who would strike at his head and destroy him forever. My enemy did not intend to give him the chance. He had wrapped himself around Israel, squeezing, crushing, subjecting them to every injury and insult he could summon. Now. He had found a greater tool than ever before. Mightier than Egypt, crueler than the Philistines, the Romans outshone them all, oppressing the Israelites in the very land that had been promised to them. And skilled oppressors they were. They did not govern Judea outright, but placed above it a client king, a man by the name of Herod. Tell me again, where will it happen? In Bethlehem. The prophet writes that he will come from Bethlehem. Who will come? A ruler to shepherd the sons and daughters of Israel. You mean a king? More than a king, a messiah. <sighs> A usurper. For years, Herod had feared the prophecy that from Judea a new king would rise. And now his seers had told him that the hour was approaching. They were right, of course. What are the signs? How do you know when it is time? The star rises and the magi come. Tell me about them again. They are mystics from the East, priests and stargazers. Your soldiers spotted them on the road to Bethlehem. They are disguised as merchants, but they come bearing gifts for a king. They know something. They expect to find the child, or else they would not come all this way. Bring them to me. I will persuade them to share their secrets, and then... They will lead me to this messiah. 
had kept an eye on these magi from the start. They were descendants of Seth, Adam's third son, who settled in the land of Shear near the Great Eastern Ocean. Herod's understanding of their purpose was incomplete at best, but he was right about one thing. The Magi carried a secret. A secret told to Seth by his father, Adam. Told to Adam by me as he departed Eden. It was the same secret that I had whispered to Miriam when I met her at the well. That the child in her womb was more than just a king of Israel. He was the new Adam, the son of Elohim himself. His birth would be marked by a star. It was out there now, faint, but growing brighter each night. Only the Magi knew how to read its subtle movements. They had followed it across the world, and now Herod would follow them. I shuddered to think what would happen if he learned the Magi's secret, but I did not have time to worry, for at that moment, Miriam was embarking on her own journey. As Yosef's legal wife, Miriam was expected to register with him at the place of his birth, Bethlehem, a small town to the south. To reach it from Nazareth, they faced a grueling seven-day hike, much of it through untamed wilderness. And no, before you ask, there was no donkey. Each day they rose at sunup and walked until nightfall, with only the occasional brief rest. Miriam kept pace with Yosef all the way. I never once heard her complain. Yosef, on the other hand, These Romans have worse demands every year. Now we have to cross Judea just to sign a scroll. And in your condition, we should have refused. We would have only brought attention to ourselves by breaking the law. I know, I know, the law. I thought the one you're carrying would be above all that. You're just upset your building plans were postponed. Two whole contracts. And who knows if they'll still be there in the spring. Somehow I doubt the Romans will compensate me. Worse tyrants than we ever had in the past. I watched as Yosef and Miriam walked through rain and sleet and snow. The winters are cold and wet in the highlands of Galilee, and the nights are freezing. Eventually, they reached the Jordan Valley. The woods were thick with beasts, bears, lions, and wild boars. Bandits prowled the road, waiting to surprise unexpecting travelers. Fortunately, Yosef had grown up in this part of the world and knew the way better than most. They emerged from the valley unscathed. After that came the desert and more walking. As the sun set on the evening of the sixth day, Miriam's eyes grew wide. A hundred small lights twinkled in the distance. Look, Yosef! 
Do you see them? Bethlehem! We're almost there. We can make it by morning if we push. Morning? We've been walking all day. And we're close. And so is the child. And we've been walking all day. It's getting colder. We need shelter. You made your point. We're stopping. <sighs> Those cliffs up ahead may hide a cave. We should try there first. When you say he's close... I'm not sure. A few days, maybe. Right. But otherwise, you're feeling all right? I'm fine. Good. You're doing good. Much better than my first wife when our eldest was born. I'm fortunate to have such an experienced midwife. Oh, we'll have a midwife in Bethlehem. Don't worry. I'm teasing, Yosef. I know you made preparations. Miriam, I... Did you always know? What? Just... Did you always know? About your son. That he would be who the angel says. The anointed one. No. Before I entered your house, I thought I would never have a child. Then... Why did you wish to remain unwed? I'm sorry. You don't have to answer. Do you know the story of Joachim the Shepherd? I don't think so. He was a simple man, but a generous one. Each year, he partitioned all he had into thirds. One part he gave to the poor, one part to the temple, and the final third he kept for himself and his wife, Anna. In time, God saw fit to bless him with great wealth and abundance, but not with a child. One year, Joachim went to the temple to deliver the third of his goods, as always. But this time, the priests turned him away. Since he had not been deemed fit for a child, it was determined that he was not fit to stand among them to make sacrifices to the Lord. Joachim was so ashamed that he could not bear to face his wife, so instead of returning to his house, he took his flocks and went out into the wilderness. And there he stayed for five months. <laughs> I'm sure his wife loved that. She was distraught. Not only had God refused her a child, now he had taken her husband away. She went to the temple and threw herself on the floor, weeping before the congregation. She prayed that if God would only give her the child she longed for, she would return the favor. Whether it be a son or daughter, she would give the child to the temple to be raised by the priests there, and it would devote its life to God. Let me guess, she had a child. She did, and she kept her promise. When their daughter was in her third year, Joachim and Anna brought the girl to the temple, and there they left her. That must have been difficult for her. It was right that Anna should keep her promise after all she had been given. She was very blessed. I, too, have been blessed. I did not think it was right to ask for more. But he has given it anyway. So he has. You may be wondering where I was through all this. Watching, as usual. I saw them near the cave. They were almost to the entrance. And then, for a horrible, 
helpless moment. I knew she would not make it. I saw Miriam fall. <coughs> Miriam! <coughs> Miriam, are you alright? What happened? I saw two men coming down the road. One was weeping. The other was singing exaltation. Miriam, there's no one on the road. We're alone. The hour is at hand. Ah! Yosef looked up in surprise to see the angels standing over them, burning with a terrible light. You again? There is no time to delay. Take Miriam to the cave. He is coming. What? Now? But we're still half a day's walk from Bethlehem. We have no midwife. Then I suggest you go find one. Yosef, listen to him. He is coming. Right. Yosef ran. Through stream and valley, over hill and gorge, though advanced in years, he was a carpenter of Galilee, a builder. All his life, he'd earned his wage through the strength of his back and the sweat of his brow. He called upon them now. As he crested a hill, the city of Bethlehem loomed below. A woman was coming up the path toward him. Oh there! Do you know where I can find a Hebrew midwife? My wife is in labor in a cave not far from here. There is not much time. The woman did not respond. In fact, she did not move at all, but stood stock still on the path, staring up at him, face frozen in a surprised expression. Yosef looked around. Down below, the fires of Bethlehem no longer flickered, but stood unnaturally still. In the valley to his left, a group of shepherds grazed their flock. Neither the animals nor their tenders moved a muscle. And up above, a nightjar hovered, suspended in the windless sky. For a single moment, all of creation stood still. It's happening. I'm too late. And then he saw it. A star shone overhead, brighter than any constellation. It glowed with an ethereal light, turning the darkness to twilight. The star did not stand still or fall like an ordinary comet, but seemed somehow to dance. Bobbing first one way and then the other, it steadily pirouetted downwards toward the earth. Yosef watched in awe as it disappeared behind a hill in the direction he'd just come from. This feels like Providence. What? Yosef turned around. The woman was walking toward him again. Beyond her, the fires of Bethlehem flickered normally once more. You said your wife is in labor, didn't you? Uh, I did. Then it feels like providence that we should find each other all the way out here. You need a midwife, and I am one. Take me to her. The midwife followed Yosef back, but as they neared the cave where he left Miriam, they were greeted by a strange sight.
A luminous cloud hovered over the cave like a shining otherworldly fog. As they watched, the cloud seemed to shrink, drawing into the cave itself. Now the entrance blazed with an even more powerful luminance. The midwife took a fearful step back. Where have you brought me? What is this? Please, come. My wife is waiting. <sighs> Miriam, we're here. Are we too late? No, Yosef. You're right on time. Say hello to Yeshua. Yosef stood in the mouth of the cave, staring in. Miriam sat at the center, cradling a bundle in her arms. The child had arrived. To their eyes, he seemed so ordinary. A small, wrinkled thing. No different in appearance from any of the billion infants that had come before. But for me, the child shone with radiant light. He was the star that had fallen to earth, the light of Elohim incarnate, cradled in the arms of Miriam. Since the dawn of creation, I had never seen anything so perfect. He is beautiful. I brought the midwife. Thank you, Yosef, but I'm fine. Perhaps she should examine you anyways, to be safe. If you insist, here, hold our son. Oh. As Yosef took the infant, Miriam beckoned the midwife forward. She stared at the new mother fearfully, but after a moment, she summoned her courage and went to Miriam's side. She examined her for only a moment before her face grew stiff with horror. This is not right. What's wrong? There is no evidence that she has given birth. She's still a virgin. It, it is not natural. Without warning, the midwife seized her right arm and began screaming in agony. Yosef and Miriam could only stare as her hand burst into flames. The fire ate through her flesh in seconds, reducing it to stark white bone. Perhaps I acted rashly, but the woman's show of disrespect infuriated me. I had seized her by the wrist to pull her away from Miriam, and, as can sometimes happen, her skin erupted at my touch. <laughs> Silence. For your lack of faith, you have been punished. But the time for grief is past. Touch the child, and your offense will be forgiven. <laughs> The midwife cowered from the fiery figure that had just appeared beside her, but she did as he instructed. She hurried over to Yosef and reached out with her charred hand. As soon as her fingers touched the infant's head, her hand began to heal. Unmarred flesh reformed, growing over the exposed bone. The midwife fell to her knees, shaking and praying, while Miriam and Yosef looked on in shock. In truth, 
the midwife was only a target for my anger, not its original source. I was frustrated. The most magnificent event in all of creation had transpired and no one knew. I longed to sing, to trumpet his arrival to all creation, and so confident that he was safe in Miriam's care, I left the cave. On a hill not far away, a group of shepherds were grazing their flocks, when suddenly there was a great rush of wind. They looked skyward to see a figure blazing above them. Be not afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy. This very day, a savior has been born from the cradle of David's city. Glory, glory, glory to the Most High. Let there be peace on earth and goodwill to all mankind. The shepherds dropped their staffs and fell to their knees, crying out in terror. There was a flash of blinding light and the skies were filled with a company of heavenly host. And what a company we were. There were the cherubim with their swords of fire, the six-winged seraphim and the unknowable thousand-eyed orphanum. Joining them, I lifted my voice to the heavens. Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! I do not know what a humble audience thought of it. To be honest, I forget them. After all that I had watched, it was a joy to sing again. Still, I knew in my heart that this was not the end. Even now, the enemy was preparing to move against us. He feared the prophecy and would not wait for the child to strike first. Soon, Miriam would fear for her son's life and all of Bethlehem cry out in anguish. But that was for tomorrow. Tonight, this holy night, we sang. Coming up, a serpent strikes and a family flees. And so it came to pass that out of Bethlehem, a child was born to a virgin mother. They named him Yeshua, as the angel foretold, and called him Emmanuel, which means El with us. If only the story ended there. How to begin that sorrowful final chapter? How mysterious are the ways of Elohim in this moment of joy. There should also be such horror that from the blood of innocence, his sinful children would be made clean. My enemy would not wait in the darkness any longer. The hour was at hand. 
Zechariah donned the sacred robe with the 12 golden bells and entered the sanctuary to pray. He had done it many times throughout his life. This would be his last. Much had transpired since Miriam departed the temple. Though advanced in years, Zechariah's wife Elizabeth had birthed her own child, a boy named Yohanan. Soon after, Zechariah began hearing troubling whispers. Herod was searching for a secret messiah, and it seemed likely that he would be the son of a holy man. Sensing that his family would be targeted, Zechariah sent his wife and son into hiding in the mountains. He did not have to wait long. Herod's soldiers found the priest kneeling in the sanctuary, deep in prayer. They demanded to know the location of his child. He responded with silence. I watched as Herod's officers cut down Zechariah, spilling his blood on the temple floor. Come morning, the other priests would find him and the people would cry out in lamentation. But I could not wait. Another company of Herod's soldiers was already on its way to Bethlehem. I needed to warn the family. Yosef. You again. What do you want? The child is in great danger. Herod seeks his destruction. The soldiers are already on their way. Mm. But you won't let anything happen to him. No, Yosef. You are his guardian now. Take Yeshua and his mother out of Judea and into the land of Egypt. For it shall be as the prophet foretold. Out of the land of Egypt I called my son. We will be exiles, refugees. How will we live? The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty. What does that mean? There is no time to delay. They are coming. Arise! Yosef woke with the angel's warning ringing in his ears. He felt a blast of heat and opened his eyes to an enormous pink snout. An ox stood over him, staring with large, curious eyes. Yosef pushed the huge animal aside and sat up, letting the rough blanket fall off him. The events of the past week came rushing back. They'd spent several days in the cave as Miriam recovered, with Yosef making regular trips into Bethlehem for supplies. On the sixth day, she'd finally been well enough to move into the city. Yosef's family did not have a guest room to offer, so Yosef, Miriam, and Yeshua had taken over the communal living room. At night, they had to share the floor with the livestock, but sleeping beside an ox and an ass was a small price to pay for a warm mattress so close to the hearth. Today was the eighth day when they were to celebrate the boy's circumcision. Soon they would make the trip to the temple. Yosef's family had offered to donate a lamb for the burnt offering, but Miriam had refused. They would offer only what they had, two small turtle doves. 
Yosef's stomach tightened as he remembered the angel's warning. He would have to break the news to Miriam, but as he looked around the living room, he saw that he was alone. Miriam! Miriam! Yosef, you're up. Come quick. What's wrong? You have to see this. With no more warning, Miriam took Yosef by the arm and dragged him out of the house. As he stepped into the blinding sunlight, his mouth fell open in surprise. A large crowd had gathered in front of the house. Yosef recognized the signs of a traveling caravan. There were carts, horses, camels, and two enormous bull elephants. Yosef stared at the giant creatures in astonishment. Who are these people? A caravan of men from the east. They've traveled an incredibly long way to honor our son. They've brought gifts. Come and see. Miriam pulled Yosef to the front of the crowd, where one of his relatives was holding the infant Yeshua. Three of the visitors knelt before the child, dressed in traveling robes. Yosef watched as each brought a number of large chests forward. Look at what they have brought us. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The jar of oil will not go empty. This is how we are to survive in Egypt. Egypt? What are you talking about? Miriam, your friend visited me in a dream last night. We're in danger. From Herod. How do you... These wise men warned me. They were stopped on the way here and taken to Herod's place for questioning. He asked them to report back on the child's location so he could come and honor him himself. That's a lie. He means to kill Yeshua. Don't worry. They are not going to report anything to Herod. They are going home another way. It won't be enough. As long as Herod lives, it is not safe for us in Bethlehem or anywhere in Judea. So, Egypt? We leave tonight. The Magi had traveled for months to meet Miriam's child, but would spend only a few hours in his presence. They delivered their gifts and words of adoration. Then, after offering a final blessing to the parents, they departed. Yosef and Miriam worked quickly. Within only a few hours, they too were ready to leave. It was not soon enough. As they were saying goodbye to Yosef's family, they heard a knock at the door. Yosef rushed to the window. It's Herod's soldiers! I watched from above as the family raced about the house in panic while outside the soldiers waited. Yosef took up his axe, but Miriam stopped him. No, Yosef. Put that away. But... Do as I say. Miriam rushed across the room to the manger from which the ox was eating. She placed her son inside, then hurriedly covered him with hay. Sleep soundly, sweet Yeshua. Not a sound. Open the door, Yosef. Yosef did as he was instructed. Miriam stood as the soldiers entered. This was not easy for me to watch. 
if Yeshua asked me, I would have been by his side in a moment. With Lahat HaCherev burning in hand, I would have faced down the legions of Rome. I lost two wards to the serpent once, a son and a daughter. Nothing could have stopped me from defending this new child. Nothing but his word. And I had orders not to interfere. So I watched. The soldiers took their time, searching the house and questioning all within. When one of the men approached the ox's manger, the animal bleated angrily at the soldier. The soldier quickly backed away, choosing to search elsewhere. At long last, the soldiers left, moving on to search the next house. Yosef and Miriam breathed a sigh of relief. But the danger was not yet past, and not even I was prepared for what came next. It was a dark night in Bethlehem when the family departed. They slipped onto the street with everything they could carry. Several members of Yosef's family accompanied them, along with the ox and ass. Silently, they made their way through alleys and back roads, taking a winding path to the city's perimeter. All around them, the night was alive with screams. Herod's soldiers made their way from one home to the next, searching out every infant. Herod had given them orders to execute any child younger than two years old. Newborn infants were torn from their mothers and put to the sword. I'd seen this type of thing once before, in the days of Moses, when Pharaoh ordered the sons of Israel to be thrown into the Nile. Now, as then, I wondered at the wickedness of men's hearts. I admitted, at that moment, I doubted whether they could ever be redeemed. It was nearly morning when Yosef and Miriam reached the city outskirts and the edge of the desert. They continued on without stopping, for they wished to be far from Bethlehem by midday. The journey ahead was a treacherous one, and they had a long way to go. How is he doing? He is fine. He's sleeping, but he will need to nurse soon. Looks like there may be a cave at the bottom of those hills ahead. We can rest there. Miriam, something's troubling you. I didn't want to worry you, but I can't stop thinking about it. What? Something the wise men told me. On the night before they arrived in Bethlehem, three of their number received three separate visions. What did they see? Yeshua's future. Three separate futures, or at least three visions. The first man saw Yeshua seated on a golden throne with a crown on his head. The second one saw him at the head of a great army. This is what the angel spoke of, that he is the chosen one sent to save Israel. Third king saw Yeshua not as a warrior or a king, but a prisoner. He saw him being tortured, 
spat upon. Yosef, he saw our son die. It's all right, Miriam. It doesn't mean anything. Surely not all three visions can come to pass. Can't they? I, I don't know. It will be all right. You'll see. I won't let anything happen to our son. I knew the visions of which Miriam spoke. I had to live at them myself, after all. But I had hoped to keep this last secret from her as long as possible. Perhaps I should have trusted her with it. She had accepted every challenge without complaint, after all. I did not know how to tell her that she was destined to bury her son. He had been born into the world so that one day he could die. You're right, Yosef. There's a cave here. It looks perfect for a rest. Take your time. I'm going to scout out the area. Miriam was exhausted when they reached the cave. She placed Yeshua carefully on the floor and crouched over him. Just as she began to change his swaddling bands, the cave echoed with a horrible sound. Miriam looked around in horror to see shapes uncoiling in the darkness. They had wandered into a nest of vipers. Stay back! The snakes poured from the walls, slithering out of the darkness toward the mother and child. Miriam looked around for something to beat them back, but she had left her walking staff outside the cave. She turned back to her child to snatch him up, then froze. (gasps) Yeshua! Yeshua was standing. Yosef appeared in the doorway of the cave with staff in hand, having heard Miriam's cry. He stopped in his tracks, staring at the infant amidst the serpents. Though only a month old, Yeshua stood firmly on his fat legs. As Miriam and Yosef looked on in astonishment, he took a step, raising his right hand. The snakes froze, forked tongues flicking the air nervously. Then they shrunk back, slithering madly for the shadows. In its desperation to escape, one scaly black serpent raced right into the path of Miriam. She caught it beneath her foot, pressing just hard enough on its head to hold it in place. A laugh escaped my lips as I remembered the first prophecy that from Eve would come a child to bruise the head of my enemy. I had always assumed that this referred to the son of Elohim, but now I wondered if there was more to it. This woman before me was also a descendant of Eve, a lioness and a lamb in one. A girl raised by a temple, she would become the mother to an entire church, a great congregation of faithful to cover all the earth until the end of time. My enemy would bite at their heels, but together they would crush his head. So with joy in my heart, I spoke the words again. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. 
it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. I am the Lord's servant. Be it unto me according to thy word. I watched as Miriam lifted up her foot and brought it crashing down on the serpent's skull. So ends the nativity story, at least this version. You won't find this exact narrative in any single ancient text as we've pulled liberally from a number of different sources. The story of Mary's childhood in the temple comes primarily from the Proto-Evangelium of James, a manuscript most likely written around the second century. But we've also included details from the Gospel of Pseudo-Matthew, a medieval text written almost 600 years later. The details about the Magi primarily come from the Armenian Infancy Gospel and the recently unearthed Revelation of the Magi. Most people today, Christian or otherwise, would agree that much of today's episode is a colorful legend. But like most legends, it reflects the beliefs and worldviews of those who first told it. The apocryphal infancy narratives were written as the early Christian church was taking shape. They showed how people told and retold the story in their own words, adding and expanding pieces based on their own interests and beliefs. Perhaps what's most fascinating is that for all the variations, the themes of faith, sacrifice, and celebration are present here just as they are in the biblical nativity. It evokes the same emotions that people feel when they set up their own nativity scene or put on a nativity play, complete with shepherds, wise men, and animals packed into a stable. Did it happen just like that? That's a question of faith. Whatever the case, the story has captured our imagination for nearly two millennia. We turn to it every year for its message of hope and tidings of joy. In the words of the angel, Peace on earth and goodwill to all mankind. Thanks again for tuning in to this holiday special. You can find more episodes of mythology, tales, mythical monsters, superstitions, haunted places, ghost stories, and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythology is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode was written by Andrew Kelleher, with writing assistance by Greg Castro, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tom Bauer, Tiana Camacho, Joe Hernandez, Alastair Murden, Cameron Nikod, and Kim Lynn Tran. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Walt Disney had a gift for storytelling that resonated with audiences. From a puppet who wanted to become a real boy to a mermaid who yearned to be part of the human world, Disney has developed relatable and unforgettable characters. Hi, it's Alastair from Parcast. 
Join me for Once Upon a Time, a special collection of podcast episodes celebrating the original Imagineer himself, as well as the origins of Disney's most iconic characters and stories. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Once Upon a Time, and catch new episodes Mondays, free and only on Spotify.